Welcome to JFK and the Enduring Secret. I'm your host, Jeff Crudell. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is episode 157. I know, I know. It's taken a little bit of time to put this episode out. And originally, I had promised to have it out simultaneously with episodes 155 and 156. And I'm sorry about that. All I can say is that sometimes the rest of life just gets complicated and busy in other ways. I am in Atlanta this week. Out of the beautiful winter weather that is still going on in South Florida, and now staring at rainy gray skies. Ugh. Not a fair trade. But obligations have me here this week. At least it's not snowing, right? Well, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And really, not that I don't like snow either, because I do. Oh, well, so much for that little wander. The Garrison case is such a point of convergence, a point of convergence that includes a real array of JFK actors. At its core, it has witnesses and testimony from the Clay Shaw trial itself and many members of the district attorney's office and the investigative team in New Orleans. It has the defense team for Clay Shaw and a whole bevy of key members of the press who participated in some way ranging from key local reporters, such as Rosemary James, all the way to national personalities that include the likes of Johnny Carson. And because Garrison's intention was to prove a conspiracy in the murder itself, his case includes all sorts of witnesses that were there, there, that day in Dealey Plaza and who were in some way important to proving that point. Honestly, it's a dizzying number of individuals, and I have a hard time myself keeping them all straight. So I thought it might be helpful, after we set forth the overview of the Garrison investigation and the trial, which we did in the last two episodes, to supplement it with a brief description of the names that are mentioned in these episodes, and in general, the names of the individuals that are involved in this season of the storytell, and to provide a brief description of each of these folks and what role they played. Some of you may not have listened yet to episodes 155 and 156, the two overview episodes, and it may now be convenient for you to listen to this episode first. And if you have listened already, that is to 155 and 156, then for some of you, this will just be a good refresher. And for the remainder of our listeners, well, my suggestion is that you just treat it like a bonus episode and listen or not, your choice. But I hope you will. There is so much more to cover in the Garrison story, more detail than we have only scratched the surface of scratched the surface in these first couple of overview episodes. But because there is so much there, that is the reason that the overview episodes, in my opinion, 
were truly necessary. Oh, and there is one more small wander I want to take before we get on with this episode. It's a shout-out, really. We have a completely revamped website at www.podcastjfk. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-J-F-K.com. www.podcastjfk.com. And all of the credit goes to my niece, Kim. Kim revamped the entire website herself, and it went live earlier this week. I live on the East Coast, as you know, and Kim and her family live on the West Coast. And with COVID these past few years and the distance in between, our families have not been able to see each other in person. It's been Zoom calls and texts and email, like so many others. And Kim and her husband listen to the podcast, too. (laughs) So they get to hear me wax on that way. One more way to stay connected. Normally, it would be at least once a year that we would all get together in the family. And most of the time, it was at Thanksgiving in Atlanta, at our house, where the largest of family gatherings would occur. And those gatherings go on for the better part of a week. We're hoping to restart some of those traditions this summer. Kim is a highly talented web design and development professional, and she does this kind of work for a living for some amazing companies and brands. Her time is precious, and she gave us some of that precious time and effort to make this website what it is today. The new look and fill and the ability to do new things, such as subscribe directly to our podcast and do it through your favorite podcast channel. Well, that is just fabulous. And look, I'm not going to wax on anymore about the details because I want you each of you, each of the listeners, to go and visit the updated website and leave a comment on the website. So I just want to give Kim a shout out and a really big thank you and commend her on the awesome job that she did to revamp the site. From Uncle Jeff, I am sending a big hug. Love you, Kim. Thanks for helping your uncle out. We can't wait to see you guys in person this summer. Hope we can make it happen. Okay, one other administrative thing too. I am so happy when I get feedback from you as listeners, and each of you are always so respectful, and I am so appreciative of that. Recently, when I began the Garrison episodes, I did get a little feedback on an error that I had made regarding the identification of two important papers that at various times were covering locally the story in New Orleans. One of our listeners, Preston Kennedy, let me know that the afternoon newspaper in New Orleans was the state's item. That is, the word states, plural, dash, item. The afternoon paper in Baton Rouge was the state times, not the state's times. It's singular, state times. And I may have actually entangled the reporters as well. Obviously, Rosemary James was doing work for the state's item at that moment, the local New Orleans newspaper. So I hope that clears up any confusion around what I might have said in those earlier episodes, and I apologize for that. And I really do thank Preston for pointing that out. Obviously, every once in a while, hopefully not too often, 
I may get a detail wrong. And it's always good to make sure that they are pointed out and corrected. And for those of you that continue to listen to the podcast and listen to every episode, you get a chance to hear those corrections. So at the end of the day, without further ado, let's listen to episode 157 of JFK, The Enduring Secret. For purposes of this presentation today, in episode 157, we are going to group the various characters into the following major categories. The list is really way too long to touch upon everyone, but a good deal of the players are set forth in my narrative here, and I do think, after you listen, that you will appreciate why we took this path at this juncture in the telling of the Garrison story. So, let's begin with a recount of the categories we are going to use. First, we'll start with Jim Garrison's DA office staff and investigative arm, as well as certain key members of law enforcement. Then we'll move on to the Clayshaw defense team. The third group consists of those who testified in front of the Orleans Grand Jury and or at the trial. The fourth group includes other characters who never testified at the trial but are nevertheless significant. Incidentally, this portion of the list includes some of the more important players including folks like Guy Bannister and David Ferry, Jack Martin, and others. And of course, some of these characters are so central to the story, they will end up with their own dedicated episode. Folks like Dave Ferry, for example. Then we will move to cover members of the press, including folks like Rosemary James, Jim Fellon, Richard Billings, and Johnny Carson. Then next will come members of the judiciary that were integral. (laughs) Don't worry. This part of the list is not long, but it does have its own significant set of twists, which is why we are including it. After that, we'll cover some miscellaneous names that have meaning, including folks like Hale Boggs, the senator that really got the whole ball rolling. As you can tell, even when you categorize folks, the list of categories is long. As I've said before, there are a lot of folks in this story that is converging together in what is the Garrison Investigation and Clay Shaw Trial. So let's get started. And of course, the first category is Jim Garrison's DA office staff and investigative arm, as well as certain key members of law enforcement. I'm going to skip Jim Garrison himself because obviously we're going to have a separate episode on him. And you've already heard so much about Garrison already. So the first person we will cover is Andrew Mumu Skiambra. Andrew Joseph Mumu Skiambra, at the time of the Garrison investigation, was an assistant DA in Garrison's office. Skiambra grew up locally, and he went to Louisiana State University, where he was a collegiate boxer. And then he went on to attend Loyola Law School. Later in life, he would become a local judge in Louisiana. 
Mumu Skiambra was best known as it relates to the Garrison story for the specific work that he did related to the star witness Perry Russo. Skiambra took Russo's initial testimony, and it was Skiambra's controversial memorandum about that initial interrogation that rocked the investigation to its core. You see, there was no mention at all in the memorandum of Clay Shaw or the party at David Ferry's house where the assassination plot was discussed. As we've mentioned in past episodes, this would come to a screeching halt in the intersection of doubt that was created by the use of polygraph testing, truth serum, and other controversial methods used on key witnesses. You'll hear more on that story as we get to it in later episodes. Jim Fellon, the reporter from the Saturday Evening Post, would later confront Garrison and Skiambra in a dramatic attempt to flesh out the truth during the course of the investigation. You'll hear more on that story, too, as we get to it in later episodes. James Alcock was another key assistant DA in Garrison's office, and he presented much of the prosecution's case in court during the Clay Shaw trial. Charles Ward was another important DA in Garrison's office and involved with the case. He presented much of the evidence at the preliminary hearing, along with a second assistant DA, Alvin Osser. Alvin Osser, as I just mentioned, was another assistant DA that presented at the preliminary hearing, along with Charles Ward. Alvin Osser would stay close to the case after that, and he would get the nod to be the principal DA involved in trial against Clay Shaw, tag-teaming it with James Alcock. Next up is Pershing Gervais. Gervais was a criminal investigator in Garrison's office and at one point was considered Garrison's chief investigator. He had been in the military service during World War II with Garrison and at the time of the investigation, he and Garrison had a close relationship. Frank Klein, another investigator whom Garrison regarded as brilliant, could not get along with Gervais, and Garrison was forced to choose between the two of them. Later, Garrison would lament that he made a big mistake when he chose his old pal, Gervais. Klein remained on the periphery of the case, but didn't take a lead investigative role. And later, Gervais would make a false allegation that resulted in criminal charges against Garrison. Garrison won the criminal trial, as we mentioned earlier, but his relationship with Gervais was forever extinguished. Garrison represented himself at trial and got to address his accuser on the stand. You may hear the name Pershing Gervais often, as he was involved in a number of the investigative efforts related to the case. Frank Klein is next up, and, well, there is not much more to say here, other than Garrison made a mistake that he readily admitted later about his choice of Gervais over Klein. William, or Bill Gervich, is next, and he was a private investigator that Garrison brought into the investigation to be a major part of the investigative team. 
He was a seasoned, well-groomed, and smooth private investigator who initially was hopeful that the investigation would yield something. But ultimately, Gervich made a personal conclusion that Garrison's investigation was simply a hoax and that there was nothing there and that Garrison had made a major mistake in arresting Clay Shaw. He would connect with Walter Sheridan and through Sheridan, Gervich would meet Robert Kennedy and tell him that the investigation was not going to yield the answer as to who killed his brother. Gervich would be interviewed by the national press, including the local CBS affiliate, and be featured on CBS with Walter Cronkite narrating, telling the press his same conclusions and making absolutely searing allegations of wrongdoing in the DA's office. That, in his estimation, should be reviewed by both the Orleans Grand Jury and a federal grand jury. Gervich resigned from Garrison's investigative team in June 1967, and Garrison promptly gave him his opportunity to tell the Orleans Grand Jury about the supposed details of the wrongdoing in the DA's office and public accusations he had made directly about Garrison and the fact that Garrison directed such nefarious activity. Yet, Gervich's testimony in front of the grand jury was nothing less than weak. Although it did address at least one questionable meeting he was party to, and I guess you could say a a witness at, where Garrison purportedly did order a strong-arm tactic to be applied to Walter Sheridan. It was a supposed order that was never carried out. We will tell the details of that story at some point here in the Garrison episodes. By the way, Gervich's brother was also involved in the investigation. Next up is the Alton Williams and Numa Bertel. These were two male investigators in Garrison's office that were working on the case. They are both famously depicted in the movie JFK as having found hard evidence that listening devices or bugs were discovered in Garrison's offices and which were ostensibly placed there by outside forces to monitor the details of the investigation. There is some controversy over this scene and its historical authenticity. No doubt Garrison's team was infiltrated and This particular scene in the movie, true fact or simply cinematic fiction, was designed to hammer home that rather undisputed point. Louis Ivon is next, and he was considered to be the chief investigator on Garrison's investigative staff after succeeding Pershing Gervais, who had previously held that role. He played a key role in the assassination investigation and is principally known for the establishment of a relationship with David Ferry as they brought Ferry along during the course of the investigation. He was a former police sergeant for the New Orleans Police Department, and in those days, the department loaned members of the team to the DA's office for investigative work, and that turned out to be Lou Ivon's path in life. 
He was a lifelong New Orleans resident, and after the Garrison era, he remained quite active in local government. And he did so in a myriad of ways, including serving as a state legislator and a judicial administrator for the New Orleans Traffic Court. In the end, he was known as probably the most loyal of the Garrison team. Never having opposed Garrison or turning to public criticism of the case in the aftermath of the trial. Personally, he was known as a man that would help and a man that was extremely loyal. Next up is Lynn Loisel. Loisel was another investigator for Garrison in the case, and he is best known for being accused of providing a bribe to the witness, Alan Babouf. Babouf has been mentioned in a prior episode, and he was one of the men who accompanied David Ferry on the highly dubious trip to Houston on the day of JFK's assassination, traveling through a rainstorm to go ice skating. Loisel, along with fellow investigator Louis Ivon, approached Babouf, and we will tell this whole story separately. Loisel can more famously be seen in a photo of Shaw being taken to jail, making his way into the back seat of a vehicle and flanked on both sides by members of Garrison's law enforcement team, one of which is Lynn Loisel. This whole story and the story of the bribe is one that I can't wait to tell separately. Next up is Bill Boxley and Tom Bethel both of which worked on the investigative team, and both were considered traitors in the office. As you know, there was up to nine individuals who were identified as having been involved in the infiltration of Garrison's case. I'm sure there are varying accounts of how many, but that's the number we're going with for the moment. And these two men were two of them. Whether they began that way or not, both in the end, were disloyal, and some would say were involved even in illegal acts during those betrayals. You have already heard the story about Tom Bethel giving away the witness list to Clay Shaw's trial lawyers. Boxley was accused of stealing documents and more, but more on all of this later. Ed O'Donnell is up next. And he was the New Orleans Police Department's chief polygraph technician at the time of the Garrison investigation. And he did the polygraph testing on Perry Russo and other witnesses. In some ways, he is a controversial figure in this story in that he stood up to Garrison after he administered a second polygraph test on Russo following allegations that were made on the NBC expose by another polygraph technician from the New Orleans Police Department, Roy Jacob. These were allegations made in front of a national TV audience and allegations where Roy Jacob stated that Perry Russo had failed the first lie detector test that was administered on him. As you might expect, more to come on this one in another episode. Next up is Aloysius Habegorst. We've mentioned him before. 
He was the New Orleans police officer that was involved in the booking of Clay Shaw and the taking of Shaw's fingerprints. Habegorst fingerprinted Shaw the night of his arrest and filled out the fingerprint card. He claimed that Shaw had admitted using the alias Clay Bertrand. This direct evidence linking Clay Shaw to the alias name of Clay Bertrand was later prevented from being introduced as evidence during the Clay Shaw trial. And, of course, that was a major setback to Garrison's attempt to prove a conspiracy. There is much more to this story than is generally discussed in many of the books that you might be reading on this topic. And so it does deserve its own portion of an episode. So, as you might expect, stay tuned on this one. Next up is an unusual character for this group. His name is Mort Saul. Mort Saul was a Canadian-born American, yes, comedian. He was also an actor and a social satirist, and by some, he was considered the first modern comedian. Saul pioneered a style of social satire that pokes fun at political and current event topics using improvised monologues and only a newspaper as a prop. Following John Kennedy's assassination in 1963, Saul's interest in who was responsible was so great that he actually became a deputized member of Jim Garrison's team to investigate the assassination. And we're going to mention one other member of this group before we move on to Clay Shaw's defense team. And that person is Mark Lane. And really, perhaps he represents a larger category. I really should say Mark Lane and others like him in the assassination research community that would assist Garrison. But Lane himself really needs no introduction here to JFK assassination students. Lane understood the flaws in prosecuting Shaw and the problems with the evidence in its presentation at the trial. It caused him great consternation. And perhaps a real point of disappointment was the intransigence of the CIA in providing evidence that later came out after the trial, indicating quite clearly that Clay Shaw had connections to the CIA. Later, he would comment in one of his several books that Garrison had practical problems around the time of the trial. He had terrible back issues, and that is what Lane claims were the reasons for Garrison's absence during much of the trial. And he also felt that most of the prosecutors, with the exception of Mumu Skiambra, were unable to grasp the nuances of the evidence. And that led to inadequate presentation of them during the trial. Nevertheless, Lane's involvement and the involvement of other assassination researchers was a sensational aspect of the investigation. We're going to pause here and pick it all back up in episode 158. Thank you for listening to episode 157 of JFK, The Enduring Secret.